everybody. Welcome to We Talk Photo, the podcast about landscape and nature photography. I'm one of your hosts, John Peterson, and with me is my co-host, as always, Jack Graham. Good morning, everybody. Jack's a little bit under the weather these days. He uh, caught one of the bugs that's going around. I think he's got the super flu or something, but uh, no, he's, he's still... He's got a bad cold. A bad cold and a cough and... Bad cold in a cup. Going away, though. Going away. Yep. That's one of the, the pitfalls of uh, traveling so much is uh, I think your immune system runs down a little bit. Well, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Let's just yeah, it has. leave it at that. It has. Well, we all think we're, we're glad that you're with us today, Jack, because, you know, this podcast wouldn't be the same without you. Yeah, well, don't, don't uh, I don't know, it's, it's just been an interesting couple of weeks. I decided to go... Uh, fighting with the wave and lost but got the shot i got the shot yeah um yeah some, let's let's some gear drown some legs drown some what have you you know but it was a, that and other things it's been an interesting couple of weeks it has you've had a, a bit of uh, a bit of tough going here the last couple of weeks but uh, you're still going and that's what counts well i start i'm here i'm here in bandon oregon um, which is, for those of you who don't know, is probably uh, maybe 80 miles north of the California border. My favorite beach on the Oregon coast. I'm here in the beautiful sunset ocean front lodging. And it was high tide last night about 8 o'clock, and I heard the waves. I, I called my wife. I said, you know, I can hear the waves. Maybe I'll go stand in a wave and make some photographs. She said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. But I'm down here in this uh, really nice, nice. I've been staying here for years. They used to give me a nice discount, but they renovated and upgraded, and now they're giving no discounts. And things are no, not cheap down here, but it's really, really nice. Uh, about 58 degrees, a little sun coming through the fog, and uh, it's all good. Yeah, Bandon's definitely a beautiful place with the uh, world-famous sea stacks that they have just offshore and the lighthouses and the fishing harbors nearby. I mean, it's a it's a photographer's paradise down I there. I so. see them from my window as we're speaking. Person. Yeah. Yeah. So ho- hopefully the weather's conducive for the workshop. And, yeah, uh, it's going to be fine. Unlike uh, last week when both of us, was it last week, I think? Both of us were up in the uh, Olympic National Park for the workshop up there, and we had near record high temperatures. No clouds. No clouds. So 80 plus degrees, and you're trying to photograph a rainforest, one of the rainiest places in the U.S., about 160 inches of rain a year. And it was bone dry and bright sunny, and it was challenging well we got in early i think yep. everybody's happy so yeah that was the point it's really kind of adjusting our schedules and ju- adjusting the itinerary to take advantage of the light uh the good light when we had it so that was early mornings and late nights but uh yeah very productive week up there at the, in the olympics so and we will be together next week in the palouse in eastern washington yeah and uh, i think uh, we're gonna do a podcast live together in the Palouse, and you never know what's going to happen when we get live and together for a podcast. What happens in the Palouse stays in the Palouse. Say that again. <laughs> It'll well, be good, but it's going to be warm out there. It could be 80, I guess. So 
Yeah, so yeah, it'll be good. Those are other long days too: early sunrise and late sunset. So uh, uh, those are yeah. those those take a toll on the body after after a week. But yeah, uh, yeah. So in this workshop, this is this is our uh, this is our episode number nine of our podcast. And today we oh. want to touch a little bit on some of the kind of news that's happened in the last week or two. We want to touch a little bit on. Uh, some of what happened to Jack. Um, and then we want to, our main topic today is to really talk about workflow. In our last podcast, uh, Jack was talking about how he imports images into the uh, Western Digital portable drive that he's got. And that spurred a lot of conversation as well as um, brought a few reader comments to talk more about workflow. So that's what we're going to do today is talk about um, uh, image workflow, both importing as well as processing. And, and, you know, everybody's got their own style for processing. And this is just a little bit of what Jack and I do. Let's, uh, let's have a disclaimer. Let's. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, when, when, when lenses are constructed and evaluated, and this is another podcast, but there's something called the, uh, uh, Circle of confusion. Circle of confusion, and we won't go into that now. But it's interesting thing. I call the circle of confusion ten people standing around talking about how to process a photograph. Exactly. And let me just say this is my own opinion. Um, when it comes to processing, I am the ultimate independent. I don't care how you do it, what you use. You could be standing on your head with your uh, hand wrapped around your back uh, using a Wacom tablet with the uh, pen in your mouth. All I care about is what the image looks like when it's finished. So, you know, what you're going to hear from us are just opinions, and I think we all know what they're worth. But, um, you know... Uh, Take it for what it's worth. Um, yep. We we all have our different ways of doing things, and I, I, I love to watch other people process because I usually pick up something here or there. And, you know, I, I'm not a uh, I, I I don't really enjoy processing that much. I rather be in the field, so I try to keep things a little simple. I think I think John is a little more technical than me, um, and that's all good. So you might get a little bit more information from him today than me, but. Uh, what you're going to hear from us is just our opinions. Yep, yep. And, the, you know, the tools you use and how you get there. I mean, Jack, you're 100% right. It's really about the finished product. There's so many great so many great software packages out there to process images, so many different styles for how to do it. This is really where you as the artist can, can flex some of your creative muscles in the digital darkroom. Yep. Um, but let's hold on that. Let's just talk about news real quick, because, uh, you know, unless you've been under a rock, um, Fujifilm, you know, big news for us in the Fuji world that they uh, they announced and released the GFX 100. So their 100 megapixel camera. And it's uh, it's made quite a splash across all of the blogs, not just Fuji centric um, information channels, but all the photography forums and blogs have been talking about it. And I tell you, for them to pack that much firepower into the small package that they did at the price point they did is pretty amazing. I mean, I have to laugh. I have to laugh, John. I, I, I read a bunch of things, and yeah. 
you know, the uh, other manufacturers, I won't say who they are, but I think we all know the the N's and the C's, basically. They're saying, look at this camera. It's a mirrorless camera. It's as big as our DSLRs. What are they talking about? They said they're going to make smaller cameras. Look at this. It's as big as the D850. It's as big as the... Well, geez, it's 100 freaking megapixels. Mm-hmm. The tech, I mean, that thing should be three times the size. God. Yeah, and three times the cost. I mean, you look at Phase 1 and any of the rest of those cameras, and those are twenty to 40000 This thing retails I mean, at ten. I, I, I had a client that had the... Uh, the new Olympus, that new big Olympus camera, mm-hmm. mural camera, which is quite good, by the way. Um, but it's a big camera, and that that camera is probably about the uh, the size as the hundred megapixel. It's probably as big as an eight fifty. So God, I mean, just just give me a break. Yeah, and be amazed at be amazed at the camera. I mean, yeah, it's it it is bigger, but I tell you, for that amount of resolving capacity, it's it's pretty incredible. Well, you know, the hundred megapixel—that's what's going to make the headlights. Oh yeah, because it's big. It's a lot of megapixels, and the reality is is what makes that camera really good is a lot of stuff that's not megapixel oriented that's built oh. into the camera, yeah. uh, dynamic range and. All, all the stuff that goes into it. Just that, even the in-body stabilization is pretty amazing for that. Yeah, for which, that form factor. It's it's like it's got that that. I mean, I still love my XH1 for that, and and uh, it's got got that got that built in. So, you know, I'm uh, I'm gonna buy lottery tickets and uh, get in line when they ship, and I can't. I can't wait to get my hands on one of these. For the sure. only, the, you know, the only downsides of these mega megapixel cameras is um, you need to upgrade your computer hardware. Boy, you got that right. I oh, think I the raw you, file I'm... coming out of there is about. I think uh, Louis Navarro from Fuji told me it was. And I'm not going to be right here, but I think it was. I think it was about roughly three hundred. Meg raw file. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I, I Two or three hundred meg raw file. You know, I pulled some uh, some. Raw, I took the GFX fifty S up to the Olympics and and been working on a couple of the raw files there. They come out about a hundred meg, and yeah. by the time you run a few layers and a few right. plugins on it, I'm I'm pushing over two gig for a couple of my files, which is the Photoshop limit. You know, four gigs a TIFF limit. So I'm 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 exceeding Photoshop's capacity to save as PSDs, and I'm having to save them in different file formats. Are getting so large. Yeah. So well, you know the reality the reality is is that they're they're large because you know the sensor is uh, it's it's almost a little under two times the surface of a 35 millimeter full frame sensor. Yeah. Um, it's big sensor and it's a lot of information on there. A lot of information. And, uh, and, and information is, uh, is storage. And if you go back and listen to our podcast, we did with ProGrade, all the more reason to have good memory cards Yes, and, and uh, good storage, yeah. uh, facility. And, uh, you know, the reality though is I think it weighs three pounds, uh, even though the size is about the same, it weighs three pounds, and I think the one DX Mark II is about four, 
little under four. And I think the D5, that big Nikon beast, is about three, a little over three. So it's about the same weight. Nice. Um, but packing that into that size, I mean, it's an amazing thing. And kudos, kudos to Fuji. I think, uh, as many of the headlines said, it is a game changer. Yep. And uh, and uh, you know, uh, it, it's going to be an interesting thing to see how how uh, it's accepted. And I think it's going to be all good. Yep. And you watch a lot of that technology is going to whittle down into the new uh, smaller cameras that Fuji makes, like the X-T. The, the, you know, whenever they bring it up, a, a new camera out after the X-T3, yeah. I think it'll probably be a year or two. But you'll see some firmware coming down the pike of things that are in the GFX that are going to be uh, put into some of the other camera bodies. So. Yeah, for sure. What other, uh, what other news you got, Jack? Well, you know, it's a maybe maybe the most interesting thing I read read today was that Sony has ta- overtaken Nikon for the number two spot in camera sales, right behind Canon. So they're on a, a tear, and if I remember right, they made a comment um, all back uh, whenever that they uh, they 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 have a goal of becoming the number one camera brand by 2021 and we'll see it's an interesting thing to me because sony has never been a really as as a company has never been a sales oriented company no they're an r&d company yeah i mean they 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 had a betamax if you remember that was great (laughs) but they couldn't market that right they wouldn't license uh beta so panasonic and uh, mashusta went in to the vhs thing and kill them way back in the day and they, they've never really been a, a really great sales company but they seem to have their spot on uh on this camera thing it'll be interesting to see by 2021 how many people are buying cameras like they are now because camera sales are down again mm-hmm. this year by about 20 to 30 percent so far yeah it's pretty uh, shocking yeah so you know to to, to to be number one, what does that mean almost, you know? No, I, I tell you, the iPhone and the Galaxy are the two best-selling cameras because they're great cameras. Yep. Yeah, they are. They are, they are. Cool. Well, that's interesting news. Um, so let's let's just touch a little bit on, on safety while we're being out. So um, Jack wrote a great blog piece. So if you want to check it out at jackgrahamphoto.com, go to his blog and look about look at to his latest blog entry around um, getting the shot. And uh, he uh, he wanted uh, these amazing shots of the surf crashing against the sand in the Olympic National Park last week. So actually, John, if I wanted that, you're not you're partially right. Um, I wanted to surf but i wanted to curl in the waves that's how come i had to be out kind of parallel to that curl uh which probably wasn't the right thing to do no so he waited out a little bit to get to get a little bit closer to the sort of eye level to the to the curl of the surf and uh, ended up getting thrashed by the ocean dunked his camera dunked the lens um the good news was the memory cards are uh, were intact thanks to suit I was a- I was amazed at that. Yeah. 
yeah, we got those out and dried them off pretty quick. But he got beat up pretty good in the ocean. And it's it really just a reminder to everybody being out, be safe, whatever you do. Well, yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is that it, it, it was a pretty typical evening. The waves weren't crazy. They were, it was high tide, so it was, you know, they were aggressive, but it wasn't anything I haven't dealt with before. Except before, I never had to deal with a sneaker wave like I did. And, you know, these waves are just unpredictable. And I guess it's just part of the, part of the, part of the game you play. I, I don't know, but uh, just be prepared. Um, the Yoshida is a, uh, it's a cruel mistress. It is. I was going to use that. It's a, it's a name, but remember that it's a tune that was recorded by Pat Metheny and Charlie Hayden. What was the name of the, the moon? Is a, oh, I yeah. I can rem- I, I know the tune, but I don't know the song. I can, the yeah, I, I, I would sing it, but you'd all uh, probably turn the podcast off. So Yeah, we don't want that. No, 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 no. Yeah, so just a reminder, folks, be safe, especially around the ocean, because the ocean, at least here on the Oregon coast, kills a, enough people every year that, uh, and it's and it's it's really uh, due to human mistakes and human stupidity is why. Uh, Thank you, Jeff. Well, yeah, Jack. <laughs> now, well, you know, good news was is that you had a lot of people around to to help, and uh, yeah, you yeah. all stood there on the beach. Well, yeah, we got some great photos of you getting crashed. I'm not going out in that 52-degree water. Well, yeah, we're smarter than that. Yeah, exactly. No, no. so we're we're glad you're okay, Jack. You're on the mend, which is what counts. I am on the mend. I am on the mend, yes. So let's jump into our topic and talk a little bit about workflow in the the time we have remaining in this podcast. And, and, you know, as we sort of approach this... um, you know, Jack and I will reference some of the tools that we use, some of the software that we use. But again, there's so many wonderful software applications out there. And we're, just, we're not the same. I mean, we, we process differently. Yeah, we do. We do. We do for sure. Um, so, you know, lots of different tools for you guys to use. Whatever you want to do, be comfortable with it. What what we're going to talk about a little bit is sort of the mindset of of you know we have all these great tools and all these amazing sliders knowing what to do with something is or knowing how to do something is different than knowing what to do you've got a raw image sitting there in front of you and you want it to look gorgeous how do you go about getting there yeah so that's a little bit of what this theory is is about is about how you approach an image and how you how you can um tackle different parts of the image to get the end result that you're after. Um, you know, last time when we were, when we were talking about the, uh, portable hard drive, you know, the, the essential part of any workflow is to import your files into your computer. And the reason I, I sort of bring that up is to remind everybody to keyword your images. If you don't use keywords on your images, in another three, four years, when you're looking for, you know, the Olympic Peninsula, or you're looking for rocks, or you're looking for sun rays, or you're looking for green, you know, whatever it may be, it's going to be really hard to go through large catalogs of images without keywords. And so that's something that I do every time I import images into my computer, 
is I will spend the time right then and there to keyword. If I, I if I go off and start processing an image I'll, without keywording, I will never go back to keyword just because I get caught up in looking at all of my images. John, so, I love you to death. You're 100% correct, by the way. But the reason I don't is not that you're wrong. You are correct. The reason I don't is because I'm 150 years old yeah. and I have um, a few hundred thousand images in my files and I don't have time to go back and keyword them. Maybe I should start. I don't know. But um, I have a little code. I have some codes that I use. For example, uh, if I take a photograph here in the Oregon coast in Bandon Beach, um, you know, it would be uh, L.A. for landscape. You know, I, I title everything L.A. for landscape. ORC for Oregon Coast, uh, BB for Bandon Beach, and then the date, the month, date, and year, and the raw file number. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, John is 100% correct. I, I, I still file my images kind of the way we used to file slides um, back in the day. Old. We used to label them. I am old, and I know where everything is. Yeah. Um, I can find it. But it takes me longer to do it. Than if everything was keyworded. See, the software, as you folks know, in Lightroom, responds to keywords. So you could put, you know, red uh, tulip, and yeah. every red tulip you have will come up on a screen. Even within, you know, the file organization, you know, even within my folder from Olympic National Park, you know, I have I have different keywords because it was different times of day, whether it was the beach, the rainforest, we got sun rays, we got fog. And so each one yep. of those are descriptors that I use to help organize my images so I can find stuff later. Yeah, so you, you, you folks that are new, new in photography or even in the last five or six years or so keyword um I, I just don't have time to go back and do it but john is completely correct yeah yeah it's just a just a reminder i'm i could i could even do better than what what i do today i mean it does take time for sure so you got all your images sitting in your computer and you, you and you want to start processing and and how do you go about doing that how do you approach an image it <clears throat> You know, we've all got different catalog tools. Um, you know, Lightroom is a is a tool that I use to catalog and rate or rank my images. I don't do a lot of processing in Lightroom. Um, uh, Adobe Bridge is another great catalog one. Luminar's got libraries. Capture One, I think, has a library. So there's a lot of tools where you can review and rank and catalog your images. And so whatever tool you use, great. Going through that, you pick one. And now it's time to start processing. The way that the way that I help people sort of approach an image is, is to sort of look at an image in a couple different ways. You can look at it globally across the entire there, there's there's settings and changes that you can make, edits you can make on a global level. Then you can make regional edits, then you can make targeted edits. And I'll go through and kind of talk a little bit about what those are. But, you know, when, when, we're, when we're thinking about global edits, it really affects the entire image. Regional can edits. Up, can I back up just a yeah, hair? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, before you do anything, I think you have to kind of make, 
either a, a list that you're writing down or you know a list in your head what do you want what do you need to do to this image an inventory yeah or a roadmap yeah, don't, don't don't start playing with sliders and stuff mm -hmm. uh, you have to know what you have to do do I want to brighten this? Do I want to darken this? Do I want to pull these shadows out? And, you know, just make a list before you start monkeying around uh, in the dark and and not getting things done the way you need them to be. That's a great point, Jack. Making a, an inventory or a roadmap is, is essential because otherwise you're going to end up not where you want to be potentially. Um, and having sort of that, that vision of where you want to be at the end of this process is really key. And so taking a moment, and it doesn't need to be complicated with the right words like, you know, curves and shadows. You can just say, I want to lighten this. I want to darken this. I want to make this punchier. I want more color. You can just use normal words to, to describe what you want to do to this image. So I think that's yep. a great, great point. Yep. Um, so, you know, global adjustments affect the entire image. Regional adjustments, they affect just a portion of the image, whether that's specific locations in the image file or there's specific color ranges or specific tonality ranges, those types of things. Those are what I call regional adjustments. And then there's targeted adjustments where those are specific selections within a... So let, let's take a um, within a color range or within a, a location of an image, I may want to work in a in an even smaller area within, let's say the midtones, and I want to adjust just this portion of the midtones in this particular part of the image, and that's what I would term as a targeted adjustment. One of the ways I do a lot of these regional and targeted adjustments, I still work in Photoshop and I'd still use layer masks. And layer masks are, are such a powerful tool. You know, the good news is nowadays uh, in Lightroom, Capture One, Luminar, they all give you ways to do layer masks, but in a, a more intuitive, simpler way so you don't have to learn Photoshop if you don't want to. Time saving. Time saving. That is the key. That is the key for sure. And then, you know, one of the big things that, that a lot of people do is when you get done editing your image, save your TIFF or your PSD file as sort of the master file. And I'll talk about this here in a few minutes. But saving it as a master file and don't save it for specific outputs. If you're going to post it on the web or you're going to print it, those are different outputs. But don't sharpen it. Don't sharpen it. Yeah, that's the thing I learned early on is I don't sh I don't sharpen my master file at the very end because printing requires a different level of sharpening than does web. Or publication. Or if you publication. are lucky enough to get anything published, the uh, publication's going to want to sharpen the image to their requirements. Yep, yep. So leave your master file unsharpened in its original size is what I recommend. But basically, folks, what John's saying, again, he's 100% correct, uh, is that, you know, if you put a print on the wall, you're looking at five feet away, you're going to sharpen it differently than if you look at it 30 feet away. So um, 
just saves the sharpening till uh, you know it's like putting the uh, the icing on the cake, you know. Yeah, or or dressing an envelope before it gets mailed, right? right. You, it's you you sharpen and you size for the specific use when there's a need. Um, you know, Jack, I was kind of I was working on an image from the from the Olympic Peninsula, and I ended up having I don't know eighteen to twenty different layers on it because I worked it particularly hard. But it got me. You're nuts. You're, I you're, know I am. You're, you're nuts. Well, it was a difficult image that needed some needed more than just the one click wonder um, from Lightroom or Luminar. So I, I did a, a little bit more extensive thing, and it, but it got me thinking about how I sort of attack this image. And I, I, I listed out kind of the standard process that I follow every time I work on an image, and this this process could take. Two minutes, it could take two hours, depending on how much work I put into each one of these different steps. Um, and so I just kind of want to walk through a couple of these steps because it may help some of the folks. And again, this is the way I approach it. Um, Jack does it differently. Damn right. Damn right. Um, yeah, he's quick and easy. But so kind of jumping into these things, one of the first things that I look at is really adjusting, evaluating and adjusting the white balance. This is one of those global adjustments. How do you have two hours to process an image? I, I won't answer that question. Man. I work on it just okay. You know, I'll work on it 20 minutes here and I'll leave it and I'll come back and I'll work on it later. And it's just one of those things. That's a rarity in my life. I'm usually five to 10 minutes. Um, I don't spend hours. Yeah, I don't have time yeah, anymore. Yeah, there we go. That's what yeah. I want to hear. Yeah, but this one, this one was special. But so global adjustments. Take, first thing you need to do is really take a look at your white balance. So evaluate it and adjust it. Lots of tools to do that. Lightroom's a great way to do it. Camera Raw is another one to do it. Um, you know, if you shoot in RAW, not in JPEG, you can adjust your white balance. So this is the one adjustment that I may make in Lightroom before I come into uh, before I come into Photoshop. When I get started, once I get the white balance done, I'm sitting in Photoshop. What my focus is is really sort of cleaning up the image, getting it to the point where I want to start processing. So I'll go through a noise reduction step. Um, me personally, I use Nick Define. I think it's a great noise reduction tool. It does take away some of the sharpness, just a smidge. Um, but I'll go through and do a noise reduction. And then I'll go through and start cleaning up details that... Uh, are distracting to me so i'll use uh you know the content aware tool in photoshop and i'll clean up all the branches and spots and dust spots and all those things that could detract my attention that would also detract from a viewer's uh attention as well so i'll do noise reduction and cleanup when i first get an image when i first start working on it i get a, i want a good foundation a good base to start my start my post-processing the next thing I do is kind of foundational, and that's really what I term exposure balancing. So I'll work on the highlights and the shadows to try to get the exposure across the image where I want it. In particular, I, I have a I had a shot of Solduck Falls up in up in the, the Olympics that had basically black rocks and white water, very high. Uh, 
degree of contrast between the two. And what I wanted to do was balance out the exposure so it wasn't as dynamic. And so I'll go through and I'll use um, luminosity masks. I'll use highlights and shadow sliders. I'll use a lot of different tools, but really I want to get that exposure balanced, the highlights and the shadows and everything in between to the point where I feel it's balanced across the entire image. For me, I'll usually throw in some additional, I'll start adding a little contrast at this point, usually some mid-tone contrast into the image. Get that foundation sort of set for me. The next step that I go after is color. So I'll start working on color, saturation and vibrance, as well as if there are particular particular color channels that I want to highlight like I was up in the up in the rainforest and I really wanted the greens to pop so I spent some time working on the greens so again clean up exposure and then start working on color then I'll start working on what I what I term is called punch so I'll start bringing some punchiness or some some visual energy to the image. And that is done through the use of contrast. Um, as well, I use tonality masks a lot. So I will select, you know, shadows, midtones, or highlights and work within those different tonal ranges to bring some contrast, some levels, <clears throat> that type of stuff, excuse me, and bring bring some punchiness to the image. I may also punch up the colors a little bit at this point, but not. I'm not a hugely oversaturated person. Um, I'm not a, a 500 px crank everything up to 100 on the slider type of, of color person, but I do like rich, vibrant colors. Kind of that, you know, the next step for me is what I term as light shaping. And this is where you as the artist and as the developer can really guide the viewer's eyes through the image. You can start using dodge and burn. You can use some uh, different brushes with brightnesses on them if you want. But you can start to accentuate and de-accentuate different parts of your image to either attract the viewer's attention or have parts of the image not as prevalent for the viewer. So you can actually lead them. You can create a path of light or a path of interest and to get them all the way back to the back of your image through what I would call light shaping. Really what, you know, what photography is, it's capturing light and that's what we're doing. And how you arrange the elements and how the light is dispersed within the image kind of drives how a person views an image. You know, I don't know if you guys that are listening have ever sort of paid attention to yourself as you look at an image and go, where are my eyes going? Are they going all over? Are they following a path? Are they fixated on a particular object or not? That's, those are things that I try to address when I'm processing is I want the viewer, you know, through compositionally, we want to have a nice path for the viewer to go back into the image. But you can also help that process with lights and darks with the image and how the light and dark is arranged in the composition. Sorry, Jack, I've been talking too much. No, 
you're doing great. <laughs> All right. I'm just but when you get done, I'm gonna I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, jump in a little bit. Yeah, All I right. mean, John, you're 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 a lot more complex than I am. And I get that it's all good, um, and and uh, I, I wish I'd probably have that uh, knowledge to do all these things that you're doing. I I, I kind of keep things a little simpler, um, but um, you know your point about uh, uh, the contrast is well taken, and and the punching is the, the punching up the images. Well taken. I think it's a good approach. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So then, you know, after light shaping, then what I'll do is I'll apply any sort of what I call creative treatments. Uh, you know, if I want to put the Orton effect on some of the foliage, which is a wonderful um, blurring and sharpening effect. If you've never seen it, um, check it out. Great. Glamour Glow. Glamour Glow in one of the Nick products. That's a great, uh, great process. So, you know, I'll punch it. I'll, I'll shape the light. I'll do some creative treatments. And at that point, I've kind of gone through the, the gamut of, of the processing that I want to do. So I will go back and I will look at exposure and color again. Because, you know, as we go through and make changes, it affects previous changes that we've done. So I may need to adjust my exposure again or adjust my color again. You know what I will do on the master file, even though we said don't sharpen it, I may do a little bit of selective sharpening within an image. If there's a particular plant or a rock or something that, that no matter the output, I want a little bit sharp, I may apply some selective sharpening. I don't do that in all my images, just when it's needed. But but this is sort of the time in the workflow to do it. The last step I'll do from an editing perspective is I'll add a, a vignette to it to, again, further direct the viewer's eyes where I want them to go. And the, the strength of that vignette depends on the image. And then I'll save that master file. I'll save it as a PSD or a TIFF. Um, and again, I, I don't do any global sharpening. I don't do any resizing. I will do all of those steps when I am ready to output for a specific purpose. I've got a, a an action or a macro saved in Photoshop for web. So I'll select the image and I'll hit this action and it'll sharpen it and resize it so I can post it on the web very easily. Um, but once you have that master file saved, you're basically done. So for me, again, just a reminder, good foundation across exposures. Get that settled. Clean up your details. Work on your color. Work on your punch. Work on your light shaping, creative treatments, vignette, and you're basically done. And I'll, I'll put this list up in our show notes if you guys want. Um, a good idea. Yeah, just in case. So that's kind of a little bit of the, the process and how I tackle the different things or different parts of an image or different tonal ranges of an image. That's how I go through and sort of attack each image. And again, I could do that in five minutes or I could do it in two hours, uh, depending on the image and depending on how much I want to work a specific image. So we just thought we'd kind of share a little bit, or I did kind of thought I'd share a little bit about the uh, about the workflow of how I approach some of this processing. 
you know, and as Jack said, he's a little bit simpler. He's so busy, he doesn't have a lot of time to spend two hours working on an image. Um, but again, do what's right for you. You're the artist. This is your, this digital darkroom is your artistic palette to add on to artistry that you captured out in the field. So this is your time to use whatever tools you want and to make the image look however you want it to look. Well, I'm going to take you through very briefly, because I tend to do this very briefly, um, some of the tools that I use. Um, it's going to be pretty different than what John does. Uh, I think, for the most part, um, I'm pretty happy uh, with the images when they're done. Um but again, I, I, I use a little bit different process. Uh, I love Lightroom. Uh, there are things in Photoshop that are better than Lightroom. For example, I never clone anything, um, which I do rarely. If I have to clone anything in or out, I do that in Photoshop. It's a little more precise. Uh, the... Uh, the uh, removal tool in Photoshop is a lot more precise than what's in Lightroom. Uh, also, Photoshop has something called selective sharpening um, that Lightroom does not have. So if you're going to sharpen an image for whatever reason, uh, you don't want to sharpen the soft areas of the sky, for example. There's no reason to do that. And that selective sharpening of Photoshop will just sharpen the things that need to be sharpened. And that's something that's not in Lightroom. Uh, I love Luminar. Not all the time, but a lot of the time, some of the presets in Luminar are a real good place to start in terms of processing your image. Mm -hmm. It's a great program. Um, they, they keep updating it and upgrading it. And I, I think it's a very viable uh, program today in the market, just like uh, Nick. Some of the – I don't use the Topaz stuff, but I hear it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, but, you know, basically my, my main tool is either Luminar or Lightroom. And many times I can find the effect that I want in Luminar, and then I need to sometimes fine-tune it, either in Luminar or in Lightroom. The fine-tuning aspects of what you understand in Luminar are quite good. And Lightroom is Lightroom that I think most of us know. What's interesting about Lightroom is if you go into the, into the develop module uh, and you go from top to bottom, that is the order that, they, that Adobe, I'm not saying they're right, but they suggest you work in. In other words, first thing is your, uh, your white balance. If you're shooting raw file, you can change that, like John said, and then move into your curves and then move into your color uh, correction, whatever you want to do. And then your, uh, they have something there called split toning, which deals with hue and saturation in the highlights and in the shadows. Uh, detail, uh, the sharpening is really a lot better. In the, I mean, what they've Lightroom's improved themselves so much in the last two or three years 
as far as the uh, sharpening and the noise reduction programs go. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you that the noise reduction in Lightroom now, I think, is almost as good, if not not the same as Define. It's got really good. And, and other things. So if you go to the right-hand side of Lightroom, that, that order that they put things is the order that they think it should be done. Whether they're right or wrong, I don't know. But I, they're, they're probably pretty right. Uh, you know, uh, setting your white balance and your black uh, balance is really important. And there are ways to do that. Uh, you know, I, 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 I could tell you that if you're if you really need to learn how to process, there's a number of really great tutorials out there uh, that are really valuable. Um, Kelby is good. Uh, uh, I actually like Matt Kosklowski's uh, classes. I think they're, they're they are superb. Um, if I had a choice, I'd probably probably take. Uh, my choice would be Matt's. Uh, I think they're just a little, a little more, uh, oh, easier to deal with. But uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to learn how to process, and you know, processing John is like cooking. You, 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 you take, uh, you watch ten people make a dish, and then you figure out the way you like it. And for sure, uh, you know, I think. What you all need to remember is like what I said in the beginning. Evaluate the image. Figure out what it needs and what it doesn't need. Remember that sliders go both ways. It's always a good thing to do. <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, if you have the time, God bless you. Do all these layers and and masks and all this stuff. Uh, and they're all good, I can tell you. I don't know if you've seen Sean Bagshaw's stuff. Sean's a good friend of mine. This is not a commercial for Shawnee, but his stuff is really, really good. And and uh, if you like to use other people's ideas about how to process, it's all good. I just try to keep things relatively simple. If you look at my work on my website or wherever, I think you'll hopefully you'll say, "Well, that's a, that's a, you know, that looks okay to me." And uh. I, I honestly don't have the time to sit and process. Uh, and I can tell you, the other thing that Luminar does, it's really amazing. It's their batch processing. You know, if you need to process a bunch of JPEGs up for a slideshow or something in a hurry, boy, it, 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 it's, a, it's a great tool. So Yeah, it sure is. They've done a great job with that software. They have. They have done, yep. done really well. Yeah. Really well. Well, cool. Well, thanks for listening. This is just a little uh, a little. Hey, John. Yeah. We got to advertise. We got to advertise for We Talk Photo? No, 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 no. Folks, um, you know, we're in June already. Uh, it's going to be June here next week. And you know what that means? That means that we're halfway through the year almost. And uh, I'm about half to three quarters of the way through my planning session for 2020. And uh, we're going to announce our. Alaska grizzly bear workshop dates today for 2020. We are filled for this year. We filled our workshops up the past few years fairly quickly. Uh, we just got the dates from our outfitter yesterday. And being as that uh, 
the uh, you know the workshop has kind of been under my umbrella for the last couple of years. I'm turning Alaska over to John. I'll be the assistant. Hint, hint, <laughs> John. Yes, yes. I'll make and, you work uh, hard for it. It'll be the John Peterson Alaska experience next year. But I'll let John give you the dates uh, and the and the information on pricing, etc. So take it away, John. You betcha. So for 2020, again, we're looking to go in mid-August. We have August 14th through the 19th. So we'll fly up. Uh, fly up to Alaska on the 14th, fly back on the 19th. We'll have uh, four days out in the wild, up close and personal. And an extra morning. And an extra morning, depending on what we want to do. You betcha. Um, We'll be out there up close and personal with grizzlies. Um, Wonderful, amazing photographic opportunities. It's, uh, It's kind of a bucket list item for a lot of folks. And, you know, every year we've, uh, We've kept everybody safe, and we've had some really up-close and personal uh, experiences with the grizzly bears as they walk up and down the river, um, coming quite close to us. Uh, it is it is such an enriching, amazing experience. We're out there with them in their environment. We're not a threat to them, so they don't feel threatened by us. They're not aggressive towards us, and it is really a must do event for folks Uh, we have one of the best outfitters in the state that we work with we stay in a lodge we have communal meals in the morning and the afternoon or evening Um, they they pack us a lunch just amazing home-cooked food great dinner yeah great dinner you'll actually gain some weight probably Um, that's what i need Yeah, but every day we get up and decide where we want to go. We hop in a float plane and fly out into Katmai National Park, land on one of the thousands of small lakes, and get down into bear country and spend the full day out there photographing bears fishing on blood red salmon. It is truly an amazing experience. So if you want more information, what's really cool, John, is that. You know, flying is is no fun anymore, as most of you guys know and ladies know. Uh, But um, the fact that the cost of this trip includes uh, lodging and good lodging and food and really good food, uh, very comfortable uh, conditions, a really pretty, pretty lodge and uh, real comfortable uh, but you don't have to bring up waiters and, you know, boots and what have you. All of that is provided. So all you need to do is get on an airplane just like you would if you were flying to, you know, Yosemite or somewhere. You don't have to bring up a lot of things with you. It's all it's all included in the price. Speaking of the price, uh, if you go to my website or John's website, the uh, the the workshop is listed under 2019. Uh, we're going to do the best we can do to hold the price. I in the in the when we got the dates from the outfitter, he said he's going to hold the price, assuming that we don't have any market crazy uh, costs of fuel, which I think might happen. 
viewing what's going on in the world. Uh, uh, and, and there may be a price increase. I, I don't know. I hope not, but it may be a little bit, uh, shouldn't be too much of it is, but we're going to try to do the best we can do to hold the price and, uh, and, and such, but, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great trip. It really is. And, mm-hmm. uh, so visit Jack's website, jackgrimphoto.com. Visit my website, johnpetersonphoto.com. You can read about it in, uh, for 2019 where we have it listed. Um, I've also got a couple of YouTube videos that I've produced from the last couple of years of the workshop up there that if you want to see what it's like, um, drop yep. us a note and I'll give you links to those. Uh, fantastic experience. And it's going to fill pretty quick. So, yep. Um, yep. It does every year. Don't hesitate. Yep. Enough All right. Shameless, enough shameless advertising. Enough shameless advertising. So with that, again, um, you know, if you guys haven't subscribed to the podcast, I'd recommend that you do because we're going to keep pumping them out. Um, I'll post show notes up at wetalkphoto.com, our dedicated webpage for our podcast. If you guys have any other ideas of things that you want to hear about or just vent to us, let us know. Drop us an email at wetalkphoto at gmail.com. And with that, I'll bid you all a wonderful day and say thanks for listening. And we will be together, John and I, next week. Next week. Uh, in the beautiful, uh, beautiful Colfax, Washington. And maybe we'll... We'll do a uh, a remote uh, a remote podcast from there, and who knows? Maybe we maybe we'll put a couple of our attendees on, and uh, you know, this is the first one we've had the opportunity to do that with, and maybe we could do something a little different than uh, than uh, than than we have been uh, we have been doing here. I'll look at I'll look and see who's there, and maybe we can. Maybe there'll be somebody colorful enough that we can put them on and have them do some uh, some Jack and John uh, workshop stories. That would be, Uh-oh. yeah, that could be. As <laughs> long right. as, as long as we keep it uh, keep it clean, you know. Yep. Yep. All right, folks, I'm off to take my cold pills, stay out of the water, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, be safe, Jack. Thanks all for listening. Bye bye.